0: God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. You guys are getting better at that. I thought I was going to have to practice you a little bit, but you've, you've been pepping up here lately. I appreciate that. Um, we do have a fairly large group off at, uh, well, they're on their way back from Tulsa now. so That's why uh, some of the people you ordinarily see uh, here are not here. They're on their way back, I think. Are they going to make it back in time for this evening, maybe? They're back? Okay. All right. Sorry. Forget that. Uh, You know what? I I know you've had this happen before, but some of these songbooks don't have the same words in it as the other songbooks. And so I'm singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and I almost broke my jaw on the what the second or third verse? I, uh, but anyway, uh, you know how it is with uh, these songs. I, why don't you just leave those words alone? Once I learn them, I don't want to have to reprogram myself. You need it. You know what? These books all came in at the same time, but they came in with different words. How do, how do you do that? I don't know. Um, hey, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started on our lesson here. Very glad that you're here this morning, and I hope that. Um, what has been done so far has brought you to, uh, to think about, uh, about God, about our salvation, about the things we have to uh, rejoice about. And There are many things. And uh, now let's just think a little bit about, about the word. There are uh, certain occupations that tend to produce uh, cynicism. If you work with people, especially people with problems... Uh, you're going to, uh, over the course of time, you're going to develop a little bit of a cynicism about people. If you're in law enforcement, for instance, if you're in counseling or social work, if you are a nurse or a doctor, if you're in the legal, uh, uh, the legal profession, some end of it, the penal system, if you are a preacher or an elder, you tend to uh, develop a little bit of cynicism about people. Mainly because the ones you know about, the ones you work with, are ones that have problems. And uh, it's something that uh, I think everybody in those professions have to fight. And I have to say, uh, myself, compared to what I was 30 years ago, I've developed a little bit of cynicism, okay? And uh, you have to fight it uh, because it, it's not a good thing. But what all of these uh, situations, all of these professions have in, in common. Is that they tend to see people at their worst, and they see quite a lot of it? Uh, I worked in the friend of the court for a while when I was in uh, the Detroit area, and uh, the friend of the court is that part it's like a um, a creation of the real court where they they create these referees and all the all the system that will help with custody and visitation and divorce and Uh, child support and all this and there's all kinds of problems that come that have to be taken care of and the the big judges don't want to deal with this stuff they want someone else to handle it and so they create a the court system the uh, referee system to handle that there in Detroit and I was I was kind of I was involved in that system and I noticed that there was a lot of cynicism in the people who worked in, in that system sometimes it would come out after people had left the room and some kind of a decision had been made, there would be some comments made maybe by the friend of the court attorney or by someone else in the room about what they had just witnessed. And sometimes you would see it in their little uh, bumper stickers that uh, these uh, friend of the court attorneys would put up in their cubicles. They, uh, they like to collect these things, and uh, there were some, uh, some, some that I remember. There was one guy in particular, his name was Steve Malin, and uh, he, he liked to collect these things. And so his cubicle was full. And I, I remember some of them that he had up on his wall there. Uh, one was, don't, don't breed them if you can't feed them. Uh, that was, you know, I thought that was a pithy statement there. And uh, when all is said and done, more will be said than done. I like that one. That's what, that was my favorite one he had on the wall. And then he had another one up on his wall that said, life is hard, and then you die. There's some cynicism in that, isn't there? <laughs> There's some cynicism in, in all of that. But here, here's what I'm getting at. If you are a person of no faith in Christ, you have no belief in God, no hope of heaven, then cynicism kind of makes sense. I mean, I can understand how you get there. Life is hard, and all that's waiting for you, at least in your frame of reference, at the end of life is death. Life is hard, and then you die. Cynics are generally not pleasant people to be around. There's always a little cloud that kind of follows them around. Uh, but we can forgive cynicism in a person who has no faith. I mean, it just it makes sense when you stop and think about where they are in their, in their thinking. But have you ever met a, what I'll call a Christian cynic? A person who professes Christ, but there's a lot of cynicism in them. That's like that's like an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? That's when you put two things together that don't belong together. Like you say things like uh, uh, dry water or hot ice or clean dirt. Those things don't go together. But to say Christian cynic is like that's an oxymoron. Some things go together and some things don't, and a Christian Christian and cynicism should not go together. They don't they don't go together. They contradict each other. And yet, I I know that we have known uh, people who have professed uh, faith in Christ, but they're full of cynicism. They're suspicious. They're mistrustful. They're about half mad and half depressed most of the time. Kind of sour on people, kind of sour on life in general. If someone does something good, uh, they can't deny the act, but they will question the motive. Yeah, well, that was good, but I know why he's doing it. I know why that happened. He's got an angle. Uh, What's in it for him? Uh, He's trying to get me to do something that that I don't want to do. Just couldn't be a good thing done for uh, a safe reason or a good reason. It has to be something sinister or selfish or manipulative or underhanded. I want to talk to you about cynicism and faith this morning. Jesus is Lord is the most positive statement a person can make. It's the most positive thing that a human being can come, have come from their lips. Jesus is Lord. Christian love is the most positive force for good in this world. There's no doubt about it. Christian hope is the most positive view that you can take of what lies ahead. But what if you are stuck in cynicism? What can you do about that? I'm going to give you four things that you can do, that we can do. The first one is repent. Repent. Romans 12 and 2 says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what Paul said to the Christians at at Rome. And uh, the word repent doesn't show up there. But you see that phrase there, the renewing of the mind? That's where the repentance is. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repent. Repentance literally means a change of mind. And that's what that verse is talking about. A change of thinking. Do not be conformed to the image of this, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Cynicism is a worldly way of thinking. So Paul says to these Christians, be transformed, renew your mind. The Bible agrees that life is hard. I mean, um, I could produce a, a hundred verses along this line. But here's Job just talking about mankind in general and and in his situation. Job 14 and 1, Job says, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Life is hard. The Bible agrees. The Bible explains why life is hard. This is Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. This is where Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The Bible explains, you know, we are living in a fallen world. Something happened uh, thousands of years ago, generations ago, that has affected our world through one man, through the sin of Adam. Our world is different now. It's fallen. And so the Bible explains why life is hard. Satan is now the prince or the ruler of this world. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. So there we are, John twelve thirty one. Jesus says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. John 14 and 30. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. And John sixteen eleven. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so that Jesus uh, is referring to Satan as the ruler of this world. Life is hard. Even when you do the right thing, you might get punished for it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, this is the eighth of the, of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the people who do the right thing and get persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I used to listen to uh, Dr. Uh, Doctor Laura, Laura Schlesinger. She used to have a radio program. I don't know what happened to her, but it's been years since I've heard her. But I remember uh, she would say this, and there's some cynicism in this statement that she makes, but uh, she she would say, No good deed goes unpunished. You ever stop thinking about that? In this world, no good deed goes unpunished. Blessed are they that are persecuted for what? For for righteousness' sake, for doing the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No good deed goes unpunished. Life is hard, the Bible agrees. And the Bible explains, but God gives us a greater perspective. He gives, he, he, he informs us. He tells us, you know, that's that's not the whole thing. What you're seeing and experiencing in this life, that's not the whole game. God gives us a greater perspective. Life is a gift, and it's a blessing from God. Our children are gifts from God. Look at Psalm one hundred twenty-seven and verse three: "Behold, children are a gift of the Lord; the fruit of the womb." Is a reward. There it is. They're gifts from God. Now, sometimes you want to give them back for a couple hours and then, and then, you know, get them again. But our children are gifts from the Lord. It's an incredible privilege for us to just be alive. And I, I've thought about this many times. On the night in which we were conceived, the time in which we were conceived, there were actually millions of other potential people who might have been, but they did not come to life. We were chosen. We're the ones who've been blessed with life to be a part of this world and to be able to go on into eternity, to become eternal living souls. That's our privilege. What an incredible, incredible privilege that is. Life is hard, but, but God says that our lives have purpose. And so we, we read, I could give a dozen verses along this line, but we have a general purpose 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's our purpose. It is to glorify God even in the small things that we do in life. And then there's Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. This is a a more simpler statement. But the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Why are we here? We're here to glorify God. We're here to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's that's the whole thing in a nutshell. We have a general purpose. And we may even have an individual purpose, a special purpose for why we as an individual exist. And I know this is true for for certain individuals in in our New Testaments. And I I think it's probably true for every human being. If we could ask God and say, why did you make that person right there? He said, well, I had a reason. I wanted that person. There's something that they're, they're supposed to do while they're here in this world. So Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knew before, uh, before Jeremiah was even conceived what he was going to be, what he was going to be doing. And Jeremiah, and God revealed to him that, that individual purpose. Life is hard, but, uh, but we, we've we got better things coming. So it gives us a different perspective on life, doesn't it? Here's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, That where I am. There you may be also. And so we have a home. This is where we're headed. Life is hard, but Paul says we can redeem the time. We can make the best of our time. And so I'm looking at Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise redeeming the time, making the most of your time because the days are evil. He says, life is hard. But he says, you can make the most out of your days, most out of your time that's here. Life is hard, but death is not the end. And so we have our scripture reading from this morning. This is John 5, 28 and 29. Truly, truly, I say unto you, that the hour is coming when all who are in the grave shall hear his voice, God's voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Death is not the end. Life is hard and we die and then there's there's more to come. Here's my point. Man without Christ has every reason to be cynical, depressed, sour. Because this is it. At least from their frame of reference, this is it. This is all there is. And there are some things that happen here that are just very uh, discouraging, frustrating, unfair, painful. And it's hard for people to get over that stuff if they think this is the whole game. This is it right here. Because there's a lot of people who don't get what I'll call a fair shake in life. And so a man without Christ has every reason to be cynical, depressed, and sour. But the man who has Christ cannot think like the worldly man. And if we are Christian cynics... We need to repent. Do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds. So that's the first thing we can do. Here's the second thing. We need to tell God exactly how we feel about things. Uh, we need to pray a more honest prayer. I think there are many Christians who are afraid to tell God how they really feel about anything. I'll say it again. I think there are many Christians who are afraid to tell God how they really feel about anything, and so they pray a fake prayer, a false prayer. We don't tell God what we really think. We tell him what we think he wants to hear or what he can tolerate coming from our lips. We think that somehow God wants us to stuff all the bad stuff down and pretend like everything's fine and only tell him the stuff that a Christian, a faithful Christian, would say. Well, I guarantee you that you, you may be doing that, but God knows what's in our heart of hearts. He knows us better than we do. And we cannot hide anything from God. And so what would be the point of going through a fake prayer and telling God what we think he wants to hear? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And this 12th verse, you know very well, it's the one that says the word of God is quick and powerful, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Now, that's, that's deep, isn't it? That goes right to the heart of, of an individual. And that's, a, that's what the word of God could do. It says, and it is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It goes right to the heart. And then it says this about God. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so there it is. Everything's open to Him. So why would you ever try to say, pretend with God that things were all right when they weren't? Great men of God prayed real prayers. They're gut wrenching. They're angry. They're joyful. They're exuberant. They say all kinds of things that maybe we would never say in our prayers. I'm thinking about the book of Job. Job said things to God that are just downright disrespectful and insulting. He was crying out in pain, and he let God know, and he was holding God responsible for the condition that he was in, and he was mad and challenging him to come down and talk. Hey, come on down here and talk with me. I've got some things to say to you. I want to see you. Job was shaking his fist at God through most of that book. And you know what? At the end of the book, you know what God, what God says about Job? He commends him. He says, this, this is a man of integrity. Job has spoken to me what is true. I think every Christian needs to think about what God says about Job's prayers and his rants. He said, I kind of like this guy. I think he's all right. You guys over here, you three friends who did your fakey old words, tried to put those on him all the time. He didn't let it happen, he spoke what was true. David accuses God of abandoning him, letting him down. I'm on, uh, there's 72 psalms. The first 72 psalms of, uh, of, the, of the psalms belong almost exclusively to David. Just a few of them are labeled as being belonging to someone else. But in those first 72 psalms, as you read them, you'll find out David, there's at least 10 of those psalms where David is having a very down day. Things are not going very well at all. One example will be Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. These are words that you know. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. You've read those words before, haven't you? Those are the words that came off of a descendant of David a, a thousand years later as he hung up on a cross. But the first guy who said those words, the first application of those words is in the life of David. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's praying an honest prayer. He's talking to God in an honest way. A couple more examples will be Psalm 44 and Psalm 69. As you read through those Psalms, you're going to find out, man, David, uh, David had some times when he was just mad. and He was upset and he was devastated. And there's other times when he just he can't hardly contain himself. He's so happy and so joyful. Well, and, and here's what I'm saying. It's all right to have a bad day, a bad week. The point for a Christian is you just can't live your life like that. You can't live in fear and anger and depression and disappointment with God. You just can't make it. But you're allowed to have a day like that. You're allowed to have a prayer like that. And the reason I know that is because I'm reading them here in the Psalms. I listen to what Job says. I listen to the prayer of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. That would be another example of what I'm talking about. It's all right to have a bad day. Just don't let your life be about that. And I think the fact that David is able to pray in the pit, in the the very pit, the bottom of the pit, and say what he wanted to say was what helped him get over it. He was able to say these things to be honest with God. And so we have repentance. That's one thing we can do about cynicism. And we can also start praying a more honest prayer. And We can talk about what's really going on with us. Here's a third thing we can do. We might need to get some new friends. We might need to get some new friends. Because the people you hang out with have an effect on you. They will affect how you think. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. All right, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 is what? That's the great chapter on the resurrection. And the the problem at Corinth is there's some people who uh, are questioning the resurrection. And you wonder, what in the world is that verse doing in the middle of the chapter on the resurrection? Here's what it's doing in the middle of that chapter. Paul understands that the reason that some people are questioning the resurrection is because they're hanging out with people who don't believe in it. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. He said, your problem is not, you know, I've given you, you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead? Surely. If you don't, there's no reason for you to be a Christian. And now you're questioning your own resurrection. He says, you know what? You need some new friends. You need to change the people you're hanging out with because they, they are dragging you off into, this, into no faith. There's Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What's he saying? He says, you know, when people come together, that they affect each other. They change each other. It may be for the good. It may be for the bad. In this case, he's talking about what I think is a good thing. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The people around us uh, have an effect on us. We tend to take on the attitudes of our friends, the people we hang with. And if we're having a problem with cynicism, then the next question you need to ask is, uh, who am I hanging out with? Who am I spending time with? I remember uh, a few years back, I was uh, at Fort Hill Camp. It was was Sunshine's Week up there. And uh, we had a... uh, an evening devotional there. I think it was Thursday evening. And the devotional for that night was what's called, uh, it was a devotional or a little skit type thing called the Sounds of the Cross. And uh, this is where basically as uh, you let let it get dark and then you uh, go through the story of the cross and you make the sounds that go along with everything that's happening in the story of the cross. Well, here's what uh, I remember about that night. I heard, some of, I heard not only the sounds of the cross, but I heard some of the young people in that crowd sobbing and crying. And it was my job to lead the prayer at the end of this devotional. And this is how I prayed. I remember this. I thank the Lord for letting me be there. I thank the Lord for letting me be there because I love being with people who can be touched by the cross. I love people who could shed a tear About that, I love being with people who get excited about baptisms. I love being with people who uh, will sing their hearts out to the Lord. That's the kind of people I want to be around. I love being with people who are strong for the Lord. And that's why I love being here with you every chance that I get. And that's why these assemblies and these classes are so important because we get to be with people of faith. We get to wash away the cynicism that builds up through the week. And so if we are a Christian cynic, we might need to get a new set of friends. Here's the fourth thing that we can do about cynicism. We can quit hedging our bets, and we can start to bet everything on Jesus and his word. Everybody is betting their lives on something. Everybody is is saying... I'm I'm living my life this way because I believe this is the right way. And we're kind of betting our life as Christians. A faithful Christian is betting his whole life here that Jesus and his word is true. That that he's telling us exactly the way it's going to be. And we're, we're ordering our life based on that. There are a lot of things we have to take by faith to be a Christian. We don't have any firsthand experience of death or heaven Or hell or judgment or resurrection or any of that stuff. I mean, uh, uh, the Bible talks of this thing called sin, you know. uh, You can't see it. (laughs) You you take these things by faith uh, because they're not things that you can actually pin down. And so we have no firsthand experience of these things. The only thing we know is what we read in, in our book, the Bible. And so we believe these things are true. And the reason I believe these things are true, we believe these things are is everywhere that I can check this book out, everywhere that I can check my Bible out, it checks out. And what I mean is this, there's, uh, uh, there's history and archaeology and prophecy and geography and science and all these things, and some of those elements find their way into the Bible. There's things that are said that can be checked out by looking at science, geography, history, archaeology, whatever, and here's what, we found, here's what we know. Everywhere that the Bible can be checked out, it checks out. And so that gives us reason. Uh, that's why we accept the things that cannot be tested or cannot be checked out. Because the things that can be tested or checked out do check out. And therefore, it makes sense to bet your life on Jesus and his word. And I, I know this is an odd way of thinking about it. It's an odd way of talking about it, to talk about betting your life on Jesus and His Word, and I never thought of things this way until I had a conversation with a Christian friend of mine years and years ago. And I was asking him why he became a Christian. He was a he was a Japanese man, and uh, as you know, Japan is not the stronghold of Christianity. It it's just not. But somehow he ended up becoming a Christian and a very strong one. And I asked him why he became a Christian. And he replied, because of the evidence for the resurrection and because of the areas that can be tested. He said a lot of things just like what I've said to you already. And I said, well, what about the areas that cannot be tested? He said, well, I take those by faith. He says, I cannot prove that it's all true. I cannot prove that. And then he says this, but I'm betting everything that I am and everything that I have that they are true. I'm betting it all. And I thought that's an interesting way of talking about your life. Jesus made it clear that all that we are and all that we have must be committed to him or we cannot be his disciple. Luke chapter 14 is a a sobering, Jesus says some sobering things. Listen to this. He talks about who can be a disciple. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother or wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, the most important relationship that you will have in life is not the ones that you have with your family, your wife, your children, your father, mother, brother, sisters, and all that. The most important relationship you have has to be with him. He says, if you don't don't see it that way, you cannot be my disciple. Then the next verse. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then at the very end of that chapter, verse 33. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Everything goes on the table. Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you put everything on the table. It's in the pot. You give it up. If you're going to be my disciple. And here's what I I know. I know there are many Christians who are hedging their bets. You know what it means to hedge your bet? It means you bet both ways so that no matter what happens, you can't lose. Or you think you're doing that. That's how you hedge your bets. You bet bet both ways so that you you may not win big, but you won't lose big either. And that's how some people live live their life. And here's where I'm coming from. The Christian cynic is someone who is hedging their bets. They're hedging their bets. Being a Christian is a nice thing. It's a desirable thing. It's an important thing, but it's not everything, and it's not on the table. Not everything. You cannot have it all on the table for Jesus and be a cynic at the same time. And when we've bet everything on Jesus, someone else's pettiness is not going to turn us sour. And our frustration with someone who doesn't do like they should do isn't going to stop us. And other Christians' failures and their stupidity and their weakness and their, their sins is not going to discourage us from being children of God and living faithfully. And criticism is not going to dissuade us and criticism is not going to pull us down because we're not looking at things in a worldly way anymore. We're looking at everything through the eyes of faith. God has given us a different perspective. So what are you betting your life on? Some people are betting that this book is not true. And all I want to say to you, that's not a good bet. It's never a good bet to bet against God. You cannot win that bet. And some people know this book is true, but they're making another foolish bet. They're betting that they've got another 20, 30, 40 years to place their bet, to put everything on the table. And that's not a good bet either. I don't know if you guys uh, noticed this or not. I think I pointed it out back a few months ago, but I I, I, I just want to say this again. We had a young man coming here going back probably uh, it would be 10, 12 months Ago started in. His name was Curtis Cassidy. He was 28 years old and he was coming here with, uh, sitting right over there by PJ. He came here because of PJ. Uh, there was a relationship between uh, PJ and Curtis. And Curtis decided he needed to come to church and he wanted to come to church where PJ was. So Curtis shows up and I, I see him. And um, I thought, well, okay, that's great. Uh, Went over and found out what his name was and talked with him a little bit. And I began to to pray for Curtis from the first time that I met him. And, you know, he kept coming, and he kept coming, and he kept coming. And I began to think, this guy's going to become a Christian. This is sinking in. He realizes that we are talking to him and that this is for him and not for somebody else. And then right around the 1st of December, I quit seeing him. I asked PJ about that, and he wasn't quite sure what all was going on. And then just before Christmas, Curtis is gone from this world, 28 years old. And I'm sure, I mean, I thought he had time. I thought we had time to get involved with him somehow with a Bible study and to say, yes, this is for you. And maybe he thought he had time too. But he didn't. The Bible says, this is Ecclesiastes 9 and 12. Moreover, a man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You know, we don't always know our time, do we? That's what that verse says. We do not know what time it is. We think there's another 20, 30 years, 40 years or whatever, and we're going to have plenty of time to take care of everything, get it all straightened out and put, place, place our bets on Jesus, give it all over to him, and then didn't have that much time. I so said, what does the Bible say? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The only day we really have is today. And we don't know if we even have all of today. And so we have now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If there's someone here this morning who is not a Christian, this is your day. Now is your time. And we're singing this song so that you could come forward. Before us, confess your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Christ, and become a Christian because that's what you need to do to place your bet with Jesus. And maybe there is someone here who's a Christian already, and is whatever it is, I, it doesn't matter if you think you need prayer, you need to say something to the church, the invitation is for you also. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation.